Open Patience with Amelia Rope, a podcast about business, well-being and chocolate. Hello and welcome back to a brand new series of Hope and Patience with me, Amelia Rope. I hope you had a great summer. Coming up in series two, we have a fantastic lineup of great guests in the series, which is all about pursuing your passion, running a business and looking after yourself while you're doing it. Our guest today is Dr. Sophie Niedermeyer Patrimoni, who with business partner Nadine Hellman founded the brilliant baby food subscription business Little Tummy, described as a delivery for babies. Little Tummy is a pioneer in the baby food business. Launching last April, it's already been awarded Best Food Brand at the Baby Awards 2020, as well as appearances on the BBC. Little Tummy has also secured a high-profile supermodel and entrepreneur as its chief investor. It's been a life-saving brand for mums during COVID-19, with baby food delivered straight to your door. So time to talk to our guest. A huge hope and patience welcome to the lovely Sophie. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. So Sophie, on the show, we often talk about chapters in life and people having different chapters evolving each time they move on. And you went from a clinical role as a paediatrician to be a co-founder, which is quite a switch. Would you share with us the trigger point in your life which propelled you to make that change and also how you and Nadine created Little Tummy? Yeah, I'd love to. So all my life, I've wanted to be a pediatrician. That was something that I was very certain of, mainly because I love working with people and I love helping them. And the thing about being a pediatrician is you work alongside parents to help them raise healthy children. And I think that's a challenge on the one hand, but it's something extremely rewarding on the other hand as well. I had really been in my dream job had been guiding parents on their weaning journey when they were introducing solids to their little ones. And something that had always bothered me is when parents came to me and said, I incredibly under time pressure, I want to go back to my job or whilst I'm introducing solids. Is there maybe a weaning product that you could recommend to me? Is there a brand out there that I can give my baby and I can still be reassured that it's something healthy and something nutritious? And I always had to say no to them. Because if you think about buying baby food at the moment, what you really do is you go way to the back of the supermarket, you stand somewhere between the toilet paper and the cleaning material, and you look at heat sterilized jars and pouches. And that's maybe something we did in the 1930s when it was all about food safety. But nowadays where we just pop into the supermarket and buy a cold pressed juice for us um, or maybe a smoothie, that's really not up to date anymore. So it always bothered me that I couldn't give something of a better advice to parents. And then I met Nadine. We were chatting about the topic because at that point she was going to the supermarkets around London trying to find fresh baby food for her godson, Hector. We did some more research and then she came and said, look, there are some brands in the US who are already cold pressing their baby food and it's something that parents in the US becoming increasingly aware of um, these companies are raising more and more money and they seem to be pretty successful. So why don't we just join forces and we do the same thing here in the UK? So both, both of us were based in London at that moment. So I said, yeah, why not? Because I really wanted to bring change to the baby food market. I'm, I'm a doer, I'm a changer, I like to get things done. And so I said, yeah, let's just do it. And at that point, I was um, working two jobs actually. So one was being a pediatrician in a private practice in Richmond, I'm outside London. And the other one was working as a consultant pediatrician in an NHS practice. So I had already quite 
a bit on my plate. And then I took this opportunity on because I didn't really want to miss out on it. And I was so passionate about it. And I was infected by Nadine's energy and then passion about the topic. So we did that together. So for quite some time, I was in a way working three jobs, which at some point really became incredibly tiring. And I felt every single job was taking a different side of me and was just sucking out energy. And I didn't really have the time to recharge anywhere else. So I realized I'm just really tired. I don't have time for a social life anymore. And then at some point, I had a personal event in my life where I miscarried. And I think this was really the changing point where I said, something has to change in my life and I have to start looking after myself again first. I made a decision to two of these jobs and just go ahead with one of them. Now, at that point, I was so involved with Little Tummy and I really felt that this is the only way to go forward with baby food. And this is really the opportunity to change something and, and create something that will last. That I said, I will do something courageous and uh, something that me as, as someone who likes to have a plan for everything and, and already had my career planned and everything, break with everything, do something completely new maybe like getting a haircut after a breakup. <laughs> yeah, and, and just jumped ahead on board with Little Tummy. And that's what I've been doing for the past two years. And it's been extremely fulfilling. And it, it's been a ride on a roller coaster, but it's been the best decision I ever made, I think. It's that thing, isn't it, when you take the leap? And I was interested to hear about how long you managed to juggle the three roles, because it's massive when you're setting up something, but you've also got to keep on the revenue streams going along. And I would imagine being a pediatrician is the sort of life vocation too. So incredible to take that jump. You have managed to secure an incredible investor in such early days with your business. How did Natalia Vodinova become involved with Little Tummy? And what influence has she had on the business in terms of its growth and brand recognition? We knew in order to set up Little Tummy, we would have to raise an initial seed round of investment um, just to have the cash flow to set up manufacturing. Um, so we were trying to find investors for the seed round. At some point, we were thinking we really need maybe a celebrity spokesperson who maybe is a parent, his or herself, understands the concept. So in a way, we did some research and came across Natalia Vodianova. And we weren't aware maybe of at that point, as, as are many others maybe, is that she actually pivoted her career from being a supermodel to being an impact investor and, an, and a philanthropist, as you say. Now, she's mainly investing in tech startups. So we thought it might be a long shot, but still, we got in touch. And so Nadine started pestering her <laughs> on Instagram. Um, and then at some point, she replied and she said, yes, your idea sounds fantastic. Let's have a chat. So we still remember how we were waiting to get her on the phone because obviously she has a very busy schedule. So she was postponing the call, postponing again. And then finally, at some point, we got those five minutes where she was in the car somewhere and she said, okay, Nadine, Sophie, go tell me your idea. <laughs> so we did, we pitched to her and she says um, she really loves the idea. She's a mom of five. She always wanted to get involved in the baby food market, maybe because she also felt that there was a need for change. And this is how the story started. And she came on board. She invested and also not only money, but also um, a lot of her time. So she would catch up with us and give us advice, especially in PR and marketing. 
having her as a bait maybe really helped us secure some really fantastic pieces. You cited the evening standard, so that was something that we did together with her. She secured some speaker positions for us at events. And so she helps us work her network, um, which is extremely helpful. And then obviously she's a mother herself. She's been working really, really hard, even though she had five children, never took more than three months off after having children. When I got pregnant, then again, <laughs> after starting Little Tummy and after starting to work with her, she was incredibly supportive as a mother, almost as a friend maybe, giving me advice on how to handle tiredness during the pregnancy and just taking a lot of the pressure off as well that I was putting on myself. I thought, I'm a founder now, I have responsibility for the business, I have to be there 24-7 and I can't take any time off after having the baby. And she was just very realistic about it and she said, look, you have good people around you, you take the time that you need and then when you're ready, you come back and, and you, will, you will feel when you're ready, even if that time is maybe three months or six months, then that's fine. We're all here to support you. And, and that was just extremely helpful. Seems as if you struck gold having Natalia. Amazing. So how long has she been involved with the business? Almost from the very beginning. So she invested in October 2018. Um, we had founded the company a year ago. So for a year, I had been working on the recipes. And then in October 2018, we started going into the factory and setting up the recipes there, creating the brand. And that's where she, she got involved, really. I mean, your baby food looks, if, you, if listeners do have a look at the website, it looks good enough for an adult to eat. And I love the names. I feel that like I could devour them all and be super healthy. <laughs> um, what's it, out of interest, Sophie, what's it like to be a full-time mum, which I think you are with your little girl, boy? Girl, yeah girl also with a business partner who's now got twins are they girls boys one of each and you've got a growing business so how do you manage it all mm. <laughs> i ask myself that question every single day <laughs> you know what i've really learned over the past two years is you need to create a very strong network around you friends colleagues family who back you who are in the same game with you and just understand what you want to do and where you want to go. So sometimes my family helping out or friends looking after my girl while I do calls or podcast recordings. Yeah, podcast recordings. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I'm also incredibly lucky with my daughter because she's quite low maintenance. So <laughs> she will happily play somewhere in the corner and let me write emails. But I guess I don't have a very good answer to that because I just take it day by day, really try to, to push being a mother and push being an entrepreneur as much as I can. And then obviously we have our wonderful CEO now, Lowry, who has taken over most of the day-to-day -day activities while Nadine is now on maternity leave and, and I'm looking after my daughter. I guess it's a really good, strong female setup that we have. Um, actually, Larry, wasn't she was in the chocolate world? Yes. But we might cover that later on when we talk about the bar that we're going to tuck into, I hope. 
there was an article um, that I was reading that Larry, where she was interviewed, and she was talking about how with COVID-19, you had seen an increase of a sort of 158% or something around that figure in uptake with B to C, which is brilliant. Have you, though, with the pandemic, had to, has it affected other growth plans and markets that you had in the pipeline? And if so, how will that impact Little Tummy moving forward? Have you had to sort of rejig yourselves a bit? So I think being in the e-commerce space has had a benefit with COVID, luckily. So so as you said, orders increased, parents are increasingly looking online and, and we just hope that they will keep this habit of making their orders on, online, which will make it easier for us to get to them. We did start a fundraising process in January where we were hoping to raise another investment round, which would then help us to expand internationally, so other European countries, but also expand our product range, give the business a growth boost, which is then something when Corona hit and the markets crashed somewhat, was something which which came to a pause. But having said that, we're taking up our fundraising efforts now again, um, since everything seems to have calmed. And I think the fact that we've kept the business going and actually have been growing is something that helped us. So we have now quite a few potential investors who are interested to putting their money into the e-commerce space. And I think every challenge is also an opportunity. And I think what it did is really made us come together as a team and really think about the priorities for Little Tummy rather than focusing on growth and getting more orders in, getting more products in, really make a call and say, say, what are the things that really matter to us? Did you find um, with the pandemic that you had to react very quickly or as you were doing the online delivery, the e-commerce side, it was just a question of getting your supplies potentially more robust and production maybe ramped up? Or did you have to do a lot of thinking on your feet? Well, we did a bit of an exercise when Corona started, but then again, it's so difficult to answer because somehow with Corona, things didn't happen all at once, but just really gradually, didn't they? So in the beginning, we didn't really know that there would be a complete lockdown. So I guess in in February, in March, we were talking to the manufacturer who is located in continental Europe. And um, we were talking about the corona situation because what we wanted to make sure first and foremost was, is your factory safe? might there be any risk of contaminating our products with coronavirus? And then obviously that was not the case. And he reassured us of all his hygienic measures that he was taking. So that was quite reassuring. So we knew we had a safe supply chain. We knew that our supply chain was somewhat robust because we had been scaled to the very limit of the supply chain. So even if there had been days um, where there could have been no production because they had to close down the factory but still have enough product, So I guess overall, we got really lucky because we got the benefits of increased orders, but we didn't have any backlash in terms of um, having to stop production or anything. What do you think, um, Sophie, the biggest challenge you've had to face has been? And what what do you think you've learned from that challenge? So for me personally, I think it was entering a completely new profession after being an established pediatrician of course, learning new things every day, but I knew the basics. I knew I could go into any hospital and treat children um, just because of the skills I had learned over the years. 
Whereas with starting a business, <laughs> there are just so many things that I didn't know. And I had to catch up on that fairly quickly because obviously also investors have expectations. They expect you to be handling a business model, a business plan. We had to set up operations, logistics. There was a whole new set of vocabulary that I had to learn. And I think that was really challenging. But again, what I learned from it is what I said earlier is the better your network, the better you are yourself. And it was really encouraging. I had then reached out to two friends or people who I hadn't spoken to in years. And I said, look, I'm in this new situation. I need help. Would you be able to provide this help? And then I also felt that most people are really happy to help <laughs> if you tell them your story and, and if you admit that you are in need of help. So I found that a very good learning for myself. It is. It's that whole thing of, of asking, isn't it? And having the sort of courage to ask. Yeah. Sophie, one of the things that I found when I was running my chocolate business, and I still get challenged with every now and again, is being assertive and being confident to be assertive. Do you ever find being female, which sounds sort of, I'm bracketing it up as a sort of sexist thing, but hopefully not, difficult, more challenging to be assertive? <laughs> That's an interesting question. And um, maybe it depends on what and who we perceive to be assertive, if that makes sense. So I think maybe this is my female side, maybe it's my character. So I'm trying not to be black and white. I'm trying to see always both sides. As you've probably realized, my answers are, are really very straightforward because I'm trying to think about everything that can sometimes come across as not confident or not assertive. On the other hand, if I then make a decision and I feel I have looked at all the sides of the topic, I am very confident that this is the right decision. So for example, when, when I decided to leave my clinical work and, and do a little tummy, no matter what anyone told me, I was confident that this was the right thing to do. So yeah, I guess it's, it's maybe a matter of perception. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Perhaps it is. A matter of perception. I mean, I, with the assertiveness, I think looking back on it, it was more when I was trying to fundraise. I believed in something and it was trying to cajole. And for me, it's being very clear with a point and very confident about the point and then getting your point across in a really effective manner. And sometimes I sort of struggled. I, I suppose there is the side of it where it is confidence. And although I may seem to people... I am really confident. I am in areas, but I'm not in other areas. And it's that thing of being more challenged when your gut thinks that it's right and it's the right direction. Um, and it's sort of asserting that when your confidence perhaps has been knocked in other areas. Yeah. I had feedback once from a mayor and investor. And he said, you know, it's very interesting. He had seen a lot of men pitching to him and a lot of women pitching to him. And he said what he realized over the years is men tend to oversell their business and they tend to sell you a vision which is completely unrealistic. And this is somehow what he got used to. And then he had women pitching to him and they are just very realistic about their vision. So it took him time to understand that when he listened to a male pitch, he would have to cut the sale down maybe 30-50% to understand where the company would really be able to go. Whereas with women, he could understand that in a way he could trust their judgment. Maybe that is just the difference between some men and, and some women in a way is, is that we sell ourselves differently. 
More subtle, I think, potentially. And more authentic, maybe, more honest. Potentially. I mean, you know, to all the lovely male listeners listening, you can also be authentic. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to stereotype like this. <laughs> do you, do, we'll move on, we'll move on before it gets too um, controversial. Do you have um, a sort of inner voice, Sophie, that is your critic? And if you do, how do you keep it at bay? Um, yes, I have this inner voice very much so, to a point where I think for a lot of years it actually held me back in many ways. But over the years, I have learned to maybe talk to this voice and actually maybe ask the voice, why do you think that is? <laughs> why do you think I can't do this? Why do you think I didn't do this well? And then I look at it. I'm always maybe then trying to find things that I can do better next time and maybe understand underlying feelings. Um, so sometimes maybe the, the voice is trying to hold me back because I'm afraid of something, because I, I'm concerned about what others might think. So I guess over the years, I've become more confident in taming the voice. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of it is fear, isn't it? It's Sometimes I find that the, the inner critic is all about and then all of a sudden it disappears and you think, great. <laughs> For a quick, sort of quick fire, well, that's two quicks, a quick fire around just before we tuck into our chocolate break, which is very exciting. Would you say you're an optimist or pessimist? Optimist. Introvert, extrovert or an ambivert? Mm, more introvert, probably. Perfectionist or non-perfectionist? Mm, perfectionist. There you go. Right. So now we are heading into the chocolate break. Um, Sophie, tell our listeners why you have selected seed and bean organic extra dark chocolate mint. So that was a team decision. <laughs> oh, <laughs> which I like. <laughs> <laughs> so when you told me I would have to pick um, a chocolate and we would eat it together, I, um, I got quite excited because um, I thought this is an opportunity to try something new. I also felt a little bit under pressure, knowing that you are the lady of chocolate. I was wondering, do I have to come up now with something impressive, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> so I asked Lowry, our CEO, and joined us after I spent at Grace, but before she was at Cadbury. And she was working in the chocolate factory there. And in fact, she was setting up chocolate factories herself. So um, oh, wow. I guess if you want to catch up on some chocolate talk. <laughs> Happy to introduce you. Um, so I asked her, "Do you have um, do you have a recommendation?" And then um, she said, "Yes, actually, a friend of hers is the producer of Seed and Bean. I hadn't known them until then." And she said, um, "Go ahead. They might have some interesting flavors." So I today went for the mint dark chocolate one. And have you opened your packet? And you must tuck in. I've already had a chunk. I love mint because I find after a meal, it's so digestive. It sort of cleans the palate, gives you a little bit of a lift. I used to also eat dark mint before a meeting, dark mint or dark coffee oh, bean. You? And I found it just set me up. I didn't need coffee in the meeting. My brain would be alert and I would be on it. But it's funny because when you said dark mint, I started exploring when mint was used with chocolate. And 
I found that Bendix were the first people in 1931 and then Aero 1935. I don't know if you've ever tried their sort of bubble bars. After eight in 1962 and then the mint choc chip ice cream in 1973, <laughs> which is my era. And I remember everything, everybody was just wild about this mint choc chip ice cream. It was, you're too young potentially to have been on that wave. Mm-hmm, probably. So it's very good, it's delicious, and this is great for giving us a little bit of va-va-voom to plough through a few more questions. Oh, that's so interesting. I had no idea about all this history behind it. So I, I think it's a very refreshing combination, really. Um, I love dark chocolate. I prefer it over milk chocolate. And why do you prefer it over milk chocolate? It's more bitter. I think that's what I like about it. With milk chocolate, I'm very impulsive and I just can't get enough. So I'd readily eat a bar of milk chocolate and then feel awful afterwards. Yeah. Dark, less is more. Yeah. With dark bitter chocolate, I tend to enjoy it more, which I think it, it should be about, shouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it should. Consuming and it's, it. Yeah. I, I, I really, I, I eat now I've sort of evolved out of my chocolate business. I eat more dark than I do milk. When I was surrounded by chocolate, I mean, my doctor would have been horrified. I would have it for breakfast, lunch and supper. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on, what are your thoughts, Sophie, on the words success and failure? I think you can't have one without the other. And sometimes I prefer failure because of the many things you learn from it. I mean, I sometimes struggle with failing. I suppose it's pride or loss of face or something, isn't it? I guess no one wants to fail. <laughs> but then the growth and the spurt upwards yeah. afterwards, you think, oh, that's okay. I'll, I'll forget about the trigger point. And, you know, the, the growth is phenomenal. If you think maybe about the stories of your life and, and what you will tell to your grandchildren, I think those interesting stories, they always or most frequently evolve around failure. Success is something you have and then you feel satisfied maybe for a little bit, but then you want to move on and you want to have more. Yes, the hunger for more, isn't it? And it, and yeah. I think the failure just, it's a very earthing process and it just makes you revisit stuff and fine tune. And I think it gives us all as characters a much more 3D edge rather than a flat sort of 1D dimension. It, it's what gives us stories. It's what we can, as you say, tell grandchildren or friends or whoever else. Yeah. So looking, Sophie, at well-being, which is all important, how do you take time out? I love my breakfast. So I love going out in the morning, enjoying a tiny piece of nature when it's still very early, very cool still at the moment also. And then I love coming back and I love having a cup of tea and a croissant. And that, is that what you do as your daily ritual? <laughs> Not every day, but um, <laughs> most of the days really. And, and I just love having a bit of peace and quiet just thinking maybe reading the newspapers just having some alone time i guess do you find that you are a warrior yes very much and how do you manage your worry does it affect your sleep less so over the years because i have made a ritual maybe to put away my phone maybe half an hour an hour before i go to bed i often read a book which doesn't have anything to do with what I'm doing at the moment, just to set my mind for resting and for sleeping, which I think has helped me a lot. I'm a warrior, and, and that's just in my DNA. How do you manage your worry if you, if you do start worrying about things? I think, as I said in the beginning, I'm a doer. So when I have a worry, my 
intuitive next thought would probably then be, and what can I do about it? Mm -hmm. And then it helps me to focus on things that I can do proactively to take this worry away. So most of the times that really helps. So a very practical approach to it. I used to work in, in neonatology, so basically intensive care for premature and, and sick newborns. And um, I had this wonderful mentor and consultant, and her mantra was just, there's no point in worrying, there's no point in being afraid, because where does it get you? Nowhere. <laughs> she was like this, she was very strict and um, very matter of fact. I then started thinking about it and I thought, yeah, where does that worrying get me actually? So why not use it for something helpful? How do you um, manage stress and where does it affect you? It helps me to talk about it. It helps me to talk about when it gets too much, calling a friend, talking to my husband, and then trying to understand what happened, where the stress comes from. And again, how can I solve it? What can I do about it? Where do I have to take things away? That's really something that I learned from that crisis, maybe, which led me to, to go on board with little Tammy full-time. You can't do everything. You can't have everything. Sometimes you have to take a time out, sit down, and really get your priorities straight. Where stress gets me is when people suggest that I'm not giving it all and that I'm not 100% committed. And I know that sometimes people use this in order to motivate you and make you work harder. That's something that stresses me then. It's just something I don't like to hear because when I'm in something, I'm, I'm in it 100%. Do you think that with stress, it affects you physically and mentally? So these days, it's, I think, more mentally. Two years ago, when I felt working three jobs is, is too much for me, it also affected me certainly physically. So I understand now that the tiredness that I had then was affecting my hormone cycle, my menstrual cycle, all these things. I, I think that showed me that what I was doing was just really was too much and that I had to cut down in order to protect my own body in a way. And well-being, Sophie, what do you do? You manage to fit in a bit of exercise or stretching or mm -hmm. I love running. anything like that? You love running? I love going other places and run there because it helps me look at a lot of things, but also it helps me look inside and structure my thoughts, think about maybe problems that I had been dealing with, trying to find a solution. It's just this regularity, being with myself on my own in peace and quiet. Do you have a book that you would recommend the listeners? So my favorite book is Thomas Mann, um, The Magic Mountain. It is. Oh, really? Um, yes. It's a book that's a challenge, maybe. <laughs> yep. It has a lot of pages. Um, it, sometimes it goes on and on and on, and it's, it's difficult to keep track of everything. But even now with, with the lockdown and everything, I thought it was quite timely. It's about this young gentleman leaving society and finding refuge in a mountain village in a clinic, which really is for people suffering from tuberculosis. What happens in his mind, what happens with his development is very interesting. Things, what, what isolation do to you, what being in a specific environment does to you. I've read it several times now over the years, and every time I read it, it gives me something different. Oh, I'm definitely going to give that a try for sure. Sophie, what advice would you give to um, any mums or mums-to-be of thinking of starting a business alongside the demands of a family life? Uh, just do it. I have not regretted 
having little tummy for a single second. And it's extremely fulfilling. And yes, it can be hard. But to be honest, motherhood is hard anyway. <laughs> so don't think too much about it and get everyone on board. Have a network of friends and family who help you. Brilliant advice. Finally, where have you had to have hope in your life? And where have you also had to have dollop loads of patience? <laughs> well, patience. I have to have patience with my husband every single day. <laughs> and this is, I think, because we have such different characters and we come from such different cultures. So I'm German, he's Greek, and he has a different way of living. He likes taking his time. I like to get things done. I like to be on time. So even on time for me is being five minutes early. For him, being on time is 15 minutes late. So um, <laughs> what I've learned from this doesn't matter to be on time every day in life, um, but also being more patient with myself. That's something I'm really grateful for, grateful to him. And hope? And hope. I think I'm hoping every day that that my company will be successful, obviously. With my job as pediatrician, probably that was when I had to have most hope, when I was kind of hoping that my little patients might be lucky enough to be healthy again, not maybe to have more severe complications than what I was thinking. And that's also something that fulfilled me in having this hope and, and working together with parents and, and supporting them. Wonderful. Sophie, would you like to share with the listeners where they can find Little Tummy and also mention any new products that you might be bringing out? Um, so you can buy us through our website, littletummy.co. We are working on a very exciting expansion of our product range for babies. So new recipes will be coming out on our website soon. We are also just about to start a collaboration with the University of Greenwich where we work on products for toddlers. Wow, how exciting. And Instagram, where can they find Little Tummy? What's the handle? That's littletummy.co. So the book I would like to recommend for this episode is When All Is Said by Anne Griffin. Five toasts, five people, one lifetime. You've just got to read it. I'm not going to tell you any more about it. And the quote is from the amazing Leonard Cohen, whose voice is just so sexy. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So huge thank you to the lovely Sophie for joining us on episode one of the second series. It's been such a delight to talk to you, Sophie. The pearls of wisdom you shared with us all are so valuable. So thank you for squeezing the time in with families, semi-lockdowns, summertime and running a business. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure to speak to you. A huge thank you, my lovely listeners, for finding the show. Don't forget to subscribe to get the latest episode. And if you're enjoying the show, it would be truly fab if you could rate and review it on your favourite platform. Any book recommendations, quotes, songs can be found in the show notes and on the website too. So until the next time, however tough the times get, keep that inner sparkle you have. Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope. Join the conversation at hopeandpatience.co.uk. Find Amelia on Facebook and Instagram at Hope and Patience or on Twitter at Amelia Rope.